Shall we pray? Father, we take you at your word this morning. Because we believe we live in a world that hell endeavors to shake. We hear the words of Jesus to Simon Peter. Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat. And having heard that, Lord, we are also reminded of your gracious compassion and your promise that you will never, no, never, no, never forsake us. We thank you that for the love that will not let us go. And so we rest our weary souls in you, Lord. And we trust you to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. We trust that you know us better than we know ourselves. So, Lord, we will not rely today on ourselves, but on you, the great God of creation and redemption. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. That was a great, great song and a great word for all of us this morning as we worship the Lord together. God is good. All the time. I read this week about a small town. And in that small town, right across the street from each other, were a bar and a church. And unfortunately, the bar's business was expanding, and they needed to expand their building. And so they asked for permits, and in this small town, it became something of a, of a political quagmire. And the church was opposed to it, this little Baptist church. And when uh, all else failed, they began to pray. And uh, the building was built and was almost finished when uh, a, a thunderstorm came through and a lightning bolt absolutely burned the bar to the ground. And the people in the church were a little bit smug about this. They um, felt like their prayers had been answered and they were grateful that the bar had been burned to the ground. And they felt pretty good about it until the bar owner sued the church and said, it's your fault. At which point the church vehemently denied any involvement in the burning of the bar. And all this came before a judge, and the judge looked at it, and he said, I don't know how I'm going to decide, but one thing is clear from the the notes that I have. The bar owner believes in the power of prayer, and the church members do not. Now, I don't know if that story really happened. In fact, I checked on Snopes, and they said, no, it's just a story. But I do know that it makes an important point, and here's the point I want to make. I know that not everybody in the world believes the same thing that Christians believe, But I'd like to think that the Christians do. And if we don't believe what we say we believe, if we don't believe, for instance, in the power of our God to work through prayer, if we don't believe in that, then many people in our world will never be helped. Would you open your Bibles with me to 2 Kings chapter 5? I started reading with our children. I want to continue the story. It's a fabulous story. I hope you'll take time this week to study it and to read it. An amazing story. We're thinking together about hope. And we've been walking through this, what I would call, Hall of Fame of Hope. And the first person we looked at a few weeks ago was Caleb. And then last week we looked at Naomi and we told her story. And today, interestingly, did you know that the name Naaman and the name Naomi come from the same root? The word means pleasant. And we look at another person, this man Naaman, who was a general a commander of the army of the king of Aram, or Syria. And let's stand together as we read God's Word. And I'm actually going to pick up with verse 4, just right where I left off with the children. And I want to share this story with you. Just 
Hear the word of the Lord with me this morning. Naaman went to his master and told him that the girl from Israel had said, what the girl from Israel had said, by all means go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, with this letter I'm sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill? Bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he's trying to pick a quarrel with me? When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me. He will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you'll be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I, th- I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than any of the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, Wash and be cleansed. So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. Please accept now a gift from your servant. And the prophet answered, As surely as the Lord lives whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. If you will not, said Naaman, please let me, your servant, be given as much earth as a pair of mules can carry, for your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other God but the Lord. But may the Lord forgive your servant for this one thing. When my master enters the temple of Rimmon to bow down, and he's leaning on my arm, and I bow there also, When I bow down in the temple of Rimmon, may the Lord forgive your servant for this. Go in peace, Elisha said. And after Naaman had traveled some distance, Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said to himself, My master was too easy on Naaman, this Aramean, by not accepting from him what he brought. As surely as the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. You may be seated. What many in our world would call coincidence, we believe from Scripture to be providence. It's not just that anybody who dipped in the Jordan River that day would have suddenly been made well. But when a man in faith and hope came to Israel and said, this is my last chance if you all can't do it. And when he humbled himself, even against his own better judgment, and walked into that river and dipped exactly seven times the way the prophet had told him to, his flesh was restored and he was healed of this debilitating, disfiguring disease. It was the work of God in his life that made him well. But behind the scenes, God was using his people. A little girl who knew that there was a prophet who had power from God. A prophet 
who knew there was a great God who could do anything in all the world because He was the Creator of the whole earth, not a local Lord or a district deity. He reigned over all the earth. And God worked through them and even through Naaman's servants to say to him, why not try what God is telling you to do? The story is really a contrast. It's the story on the one hand of a man who has the worst disease in the world at that time, leprosy, and how by humbling himself in hope, he became well. It's also the story of a person who should have known better. In fact, there are several who should have known better. But Gehazi, this servant, who really wants not something for this great Syrian general, but something from him, and he gets more than he bargained for. Oh, he gets the money. But he also, if you read the rest of the story, gets his leprosy as well. So one man in hope is healed. Another man in greed becomes very sick. And when we read these stories, we may look and see the work of God in our world. And what I notice in this passage of Scripture is that the people who really believe in God are the ones who really help the people who don't believe in God. And all these weeks we've been thinking together about hope, really going back to Christmas Eve. All these weeks we've been thinking about hope. I've been saying to you, whatever you do in this world, hold on to to hope. Hold unswervingly to the hope we have professed because He who promised is faithful. For the weeks leading into our revival, I'd like to think with you about how we can hold out hope to those who are looking for hope. That those who have actually found hope in the Lord are the only ones who can offer hope to those who don't know the Lord. And in fact, if we who know the Lord, who know the power of the Lord, don't offer them hope for the glory of the Lord in the name of the Lord, then this world really is a hopeless place. And we have the chance, if we can come back to our hope in the Lord, to offer that hope to other people and to make a difference in this city, in this state, in this country, in this world. But if you and I look at all the present health conversation that's going on in our country, I'm not sure our country has ever talked more about health than it's talking about it right now. And here's what I want to say to you. If you and I look at the health situation in our country and the only thing we think about is how we can save money, we are thinking on a much lower level than God intends for us to. Now, I'm not saying that I'm not about saving money. Don't hear me say that. But if that's all we want, and this text, this story, asks a compelling question of our congregation that we need to answer. And here's the question. Are we primarily about what we want from this world or what we want for this world? Are we primarily, as we look at the people in our city who don't know their spiritual left hand from their right, are we more interested in getting something from them or giving something from God to them in His name? And our answer to that question is going to have everything to do with the next 10 years in the history of Tallowood Baptist Church. Because if we're really about us, we're really going to miss God's purpose for this church. But if we're really about Him and His greater purpose in this world, we're going to see God do things beyond anything that we ever imagined He could do. Listen to this story. 
and hear the word of the Lord when James chapter 4 verse 10 says humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up in a way he was showing the way that Naaman took this story is in some ways about power and in fact when we talk about hope sometimes these days we'll hear about the audacity of hope and I'll tell you about hope hope has a lot of audacity in it now does hope have audacity it has tenacity I mean you have to hold on to hope but the great thing about hope is not just the audacity and the tenacity but it's in this story the great thing we need to about need to know about hope today is the humility of hope because it takes a great deal of humility to believe that God can do something for us that we can't do for ourselves that at the end of the day it's not our self-reliance that wins the day but it's the grace of God working through us that wins the day I see it in Naaman but I also see it in Elisha notice Naaman just sort of look at this sort of um, power pyramid that takes place we start with a little girl who's a captive and she speaks to her master's wife who's in charge of her she's a servant and the servants by the way in this story know a lot more than their masters do but anyway she she speaks to her master's wife and says there's a prophet who could heal my master and the wife goes to the husband and the husband goes to the king of Syria and the king of Syria sends Naaman all the way to the king of Israel so we're sort of going up this ladder until we get to the king of Israel and he says am I God they're trying to pick a fight with me what's going on here this is the message what's going on here he's trying to pick a fight with me that's what that's what the message says and this passage says he's looking for a quarrel he's trying to pick a fight with me and here's Elisha who's even higher on the ladder because he's closer to the Lord and he says wait a minute why are you tearing your robes why are you upset send him to me and I'll send him to be healed and God works through this sort of inverted pyramid of power so it takes a lot of humility just imagine Naaman when he comes to the king of Israel the king of Israel says I can't help you I'm the king I'm supposed to know God we're supposed to be the people of God but I can't help you I am powerless to help you why he doesn't know God he doesn't know the power of God. How did it come to a place in the history of Israel that the king of Israel didn't know God? And here's the challenge. I don't think when people come to us for help as a church that they're asking us to be God. But wouldn't you say it's reasonable for them to expect that we would actually know God? Wouldn't that be a reasonable thing for the world when they come to the church? That they would find people here who know God on a better than second-hand basis. I think that's a reasonable expectation. The world's not expecting the church to be God, but the world is expecting the church that claims to follow God to actually know Him and have relationship with Him. And apart from personal relationship with God, we have nothing in this world to offer to this world. And it's when he says to him, okay, I'm not even going to come downstairs for this. But you go to the River Jordan and you dip in the river seven times and Naaman gets so angry. He's an angry elf, isn't he? He's very upset and he says, you know what? I could have gone to any of the rivers. And if you Google rivers in Damascus, Syria today, you'll see what he was talking about. There are beautiful rivers running through Damascus and outside Damascus. In fact, the story is that a man got there one time and he said, I can't go through this river because it's paradise and a man only gets to go to paradise one time and I'm not taking it here. They are very beautiful rivers. Sometimes when you look at the Jordan, you might be thinking if you've never been there like Mississippi or um, you might be thinking like um, the Nile or the Rhine or the Amazon. Not exactly. I mean, it's a little bit underwhelming to tell you the truth. It's not just a huge river, but it's the place 
that he was sending him to get well. And until he went there, he couldn't get well until he became obedient. It's funny because he, he says, I'm not going to do it. And um, his servants say, well, what if he'd asked you to do some great thing? Wouldn't you have done that? I mean, he's brought with him, by the way. You know, I, I added up this week 6,000 6, shekels of, of gold. That's 2,400 ounces to be specific. You know how much 2,400 ounces of gold is worth today? That's $2.5 million. This man is serious about getting well. He was, he's willing to pay anything to get well. But he's not willing to go dip in the river. He's not willing to humble himself in that way. And I know a lot of people who want to come to know the Lord and they go, well, I'll do this for the Lord, I'll do that for the Lord. If you just tell me what things I need to do. To, and here's the thing. All you need is to be washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the only way. There's not a thing you can do. There's not a way you can pay for it because the price has already been paid. The only way to relationship with God is by trusting in Him. But when we trust in Him, that's when God begins to work. And I love the story because after he, he dips in the river and He's healed, then He is very grateful. And here's where I want you to see Elisha's humility because you look at it and you go, well, Elisha didn't seem very humble. He said, send him to me. There's a prophet in Israel. Um, he doesn't seem very humble when he doesn't even come downstairs to meet with the man. But here's his humility. When Naaman tries to pay him for the healing, Elisha won't take anything. It's not like... You know, the person who goes, nah, I, I don't want to, you know what I mean? The person who keeps looking for their wallet when you go to lunch with them, but they never find it. You know what I'm talking about? It's not like that. I mean, it's not, it's not like the preacher, you know, who didn't charge for weddings. By the way, I don't charge for weddings either, but he didn't charge for weddings. And so this guy asked him, so what do I pay you? And he said, whatever you think she's worth. Go ahead. You know, just that much. You know, what, what do you think your healing is worth? You know, how much do you, how much would you pay to get healed? Because now you've been healed. No, it's not like that because no matter how much Naaman insists, he's not taking his money. You know why? Because Elisha already has what he wants for and from this man. You want to see it? I'll show it to you. Right there in verse 15. Don't miss this one. In verse 15, when the man is healed, he comes and he says, Now I know. Now I know God. Do you hear that? Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. Please accept now a gift from your servant. And, and when Naaman uh, offers it and Elisha refuses. Then in verse 17, Naaman says, okay, well, if, if you won't let me give you anything, would you, would you give me something else? Could I take some of your dirt? Because I just believe that your God is the only God, and so I need some of your dirt back home so I can build an altar, because I'm never going to offer another offering to any other God in the world. Elisha already has everything he wants from this man. What does he want from him? He wants him to know the Lord. And so I come back to what I said at the beginning, and that is, until we decide what we want for this city, we don't have anything to offer them except a relationship with God. But what if they came to know God? I mean, isn't, isn't this what we want? I only ask this because th there may be somebody who says, you know, this whole uh, hope... 2010 sharing Christ with everybody in the country I mean that could be you know that could be really beneficial to Tallowood as a church I mean just think about it if we if we lead this city to Christ we could be the next big church thing in Houston but if that's all we want let me just say to you first of all two things one God forbid and second of all it won't work I mean if our ambition is just that we become bigger if we're just trying to make a name for Tallowood if we're just no 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 L let me be clear about this the only name we care about is his name because his name is the only power that is able to save his blood is the only blood that is able to cleanse he's the only one who has the power to transform lives and what we really want for this city is for them to know Christ and if they come to know him they will be more well than they have ever been in their lives this is what we want 
and the, the world comes to the church and says, don't you have something for me? I'll give you something if you'll give me this. And we say, no, we don't want anything from you, but we want this for you. We want you to know the Lord because if you know Him, it will transform your life. Now contrast Elisha's approach, who says, I don't want anything from you, with Gehazi's approach. He says, man, he let him off too easy. This guy's got a lot of money. I need his money. And so he pursues him. He lies three times. Three times he lies so he can get the man's money. And with the money, he also gets his leprosy. In the little book we're reading, Preparing for Our Revival, The Prodigal God, Tim Keller. Some of you are reading it. You're telling me about it. I think Nan's got it in the bookstore. If you need it, it's probably cheaper there than anywhere else. She's making a deal on it. But anyway, in that little book, there's a story about a king and his gardener a farmer in the area comes to him and brings him what we would call in my household a ginormous, a very large carrot. And he brings this carrot and he says, I've been farming for years. This is the biggest carrot I've ever grown and I want to give it as a gift to you. And the king says, thank you. By the way, I have a piece of land that's adjacent to your land and I want to give you that land because you're a good farmer and I want you to grow more carrots. And one of his noblemen's watching this and he says, man, what would he do if somebody gave him a big gift? So the next day, this nobleman walks in with the horse of all horses, a a black stallion, beautiful horse, and he says, I've been raising horses for years. This is the best horse in the whole country, and I couldn't think of anybody else but you to have this horse. So I'm giving this horse to you, and he presents it to the king, hands him the reins, and then stands there and waits. And the king looks at him and smiles and says, thanks. (laughs) And he's standing there, and the king's looking at him, and and he goes, oh, okay, you misunderstand. See, because the farmer yesterday, he brought the carrot as a gift for me but you brought the horse as a gift for yourself. And here's what I want to say, and I want you to hear my heart today. What I pray about, what wakes me up in the morning and keeps me up at night, is how Tallowood is going to lead people in the city of Houston to Jesus Christ, and we will never, ever, ever get it done. We will never have anything to offer them until we come to the place that we realize that the ultimate good is God. He's the one. We can even make an idol of health as far as that goes, but what we have to offer them is life and abundant life, and Jesus said eternal life, and we want to offer that to everybody that we can, but as long as we're sort of looking at them as a we'll scratch your back if you scratch ours, it's never going to happen. But if we'll just say to them, hey, all we have to offer you, silver and gold, we have none. But we do have Jesus, and we offer Him to you, and we offer Jesus to them, and they find Him. They will find in Him everything they need. And I was wondering if you and I believe that. And if we do believe that. In Jesus' name this week, for Jesus' glory alone. Let us offer them healing and hope in the name that is above every other name. The name of Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the health and the wholeness and the help we have found in Jesus. And forgive us, Lord, for seeing the world as a resource for our own success. Would you help us today, Lord, to see people the way you saw them, harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, And Lord, the least we who know the shepherd can do is share the shepherd. So help us to do that by our lives. Help us to know your hope so that we have something to offer to those who come to us and say, we need help. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.